morning. Thank you for coming today. Glad to see you here. Do you have any troubles? My guess is that since last Sunday, between then and now, uh, something in this world has caused you trouble, uh, grief, anxiety, worry, suffering. The world uh, at the moment is all worried about whether this latest virus is just going to wipe us all out. Something is going to wipe us all out. A hundred years from now, none of us will still be here. Most of us, it won't take nearly that long. There is plenty to worry about. I read a book one time. The title of the book was Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It was a theology book. The subtitle was A Breviary of Sin. A Breviary. I don't know how this guy got away with calling his book by the title of breviary. A breviary means a brief discourse. And this book was like 250 pages long. But the point of that was, you know, if I talk about the problem of sin for 250 pages, I'm really just giving you a brief on the subject. The main title of the book gives you an insight, not the way it's supposed to be. You know, not a single one of us is the way we're supposed to be, are we? And here's something I've noticed. All, everyone around me is not the way they're supposed to be. It's really annoying. People do not behave right by me. Now, I don't behave right by them either, but I'm less concerned about that. That's not the way I'm supposed to be. The whole thing is broken. I don't know if you've noticed. We are surrounded, trapped. What a great idea. Jesus is a chain breaker a deliverer from slavery. Well, in the story we're in, in the book of John, someone dies. Lazarus dies. People are grieving. And time after time in this story, 
someone will say, if only the Lord was here, he wouldn't have died. They say that, you know? When he first shows up, Martha comes to see him. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's the part of the story we looked at last time. So she has a conversation with Jesus about the resurrection. So our hope, Jesus tells Martha, is in the resurrection. Lazarus will participate in the resurrection. He doesn't really come out and say, I mean today. And of course, that resurrection is not the resurrection that will last for Lazarus. But anyway, she goes back and she gets married. That's where we pick up the story now. When she said this, what she said was, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. When Mary heard this, she rose quickly and went out, went to him. Jesus hadn't yet come into the village, was still where he had met Martha. Now, when the people who were in the house saw Mary leave, they followed her. Because they thought she was going to the tomb. Remember, Lazarus has now been dead for four days. He's dead and buried. Some uh, commentators noticed that the four days kind of matters because there was a sort of a folk belief. Now, we don't know if this goes all the way back to the time of Jesus, but maybe. That when someone died, their soul kind of hung around for a few days, hoping to get back. And uh, the... I don't know what to call this. This sort of myth says that... After three days, they give up. And maybe that's why John mentioned that it was four days. So we're past the point of, you know, just some kind of easily explained resurrection. But anyway, Mary goes, the people go with her there. She's going to the tomb. She's going to grieve. And they're going to accompany her. That's what we do when someone dies, don't we? We accompany the people who are suffering. There's not much else. There's not, nothing really else you can do. We all try to say something. Raise your hand if you know what to say to someone who's recently lost a loved one. What's to say? They're going with her, weeping with her, that's all. And that's all there is. Now, when Mary came to Jesus, she saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
That's a statement of faith, right? She knows Jesus. She's seen him heal people. Just recently, he healed this man who was born blind. If you'd been here, if you'd only been here, if only, if only. She sees Jesus, she says, he would have saved her if he'd only been here. And the people who are with, I'm skipping over a little bit, we'll come back to it. The people who were with her, some of them said at the end of our passage in verse 37, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? If only. And he could have. And he didn't. He heard. He said, we're going to give it a few days. But here we come to what to me is maybe the most meaningful part of the story. When Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit. And greatly troubled. This is not because Jesus didn't understand what was going on and what had happened and what he had done, the decisions he had made, one of which was to intentionally wait until now to show up. Jesus saw them. Jesus, a man, laid eyes on these people. Jesus, a man, the eternal son of God, become man, was standing at the place to see them, and he saw them. He has a full understanding of our situation, our situation in sin and death. He sees our broken humanity. And he doesn't just see it. He's not a standing off observer. Like that stupid song says, at a distance, God is watching us. There's no distance. He is not distant. He is standing there, looking them in the eye with their tears. He doesn't just see it. He doesn't just comprehend or understand it. He knows it. 
firsthand. He is experiencing it with them. The scripture says, uses the, the, the word is translated here, greatly troubled. It's not a good enough word. You know that feeling you have when you see someone hurt? That, that's the word. That's the word. Deeply moved. You know, he feels it harder than we do. Because he really sees it. He's deeply moved. He's gut-wrenched in spirit. And greatly troubled, that word means he's upset, he's disturbed. This is not right. The words even have a bit of that grieving anger in them. It says, where is he? Jesus says, where is he? Where's, he? Where's the body? So they take him. Come and see. And Jesus stands in front of that stone cave tomb and weeps. His beloved friend is dead. He weeps. He knows what he's about to do. He's already said what he's going to do. But his beloved friend is dead. And he weeps. And the people say, Look how he loved. He weeps for Lazarus, for Lazarus' sisters, for all these people standing there weeping with him, for himself. Nobody here and nobody standing there knows the great grief of death better than Jesus. Jesus saw Adam and Eve collapse and every one of their descendants ever since collapse into the sin and death that has trapped us. And he weeps. Nobody understands how things have gone horribly wrong better than Jesus. And he doesn't just stand back and watch from heaven. He is showing up at the grave of his friend. A man 
made human for this purpose because of his great compassion for lost people, his people. He's standing there gazing at the impact of human sin on his dear friend, on his friend's family, on their neighbors, on him. And let's not forget, he's going all the way. He's not going to just stand there in front of Lazarus' tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth and Lazarus, rise and we all live happily ever after. No, where is he going after that? He's not just sharing in the grief, he's sharing in the death. I say, see how he loved him. And some of them said, yeah, but he could have stopped the whole thing. There's some things I want to notice from this story. I have kind of a long list. I don't think it'll take too long. When bad things happen, people seem to think God's been absent. Have you noticed that? Where was God? If he'd only been here. What we don't typically notice is that we're the absent ones. That's why things are so bad. But anyway, that's kind of how we are. If he'd only been here, if he'd only been here, he didn't show up on time. The scripture says that Jesus showed up at exactly the right time. But we don't really... Trust that. We think God showing up looks like what we think God showing up looks like. When God shows up, when God shows up. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And here, Jesus showed up when he intended to show up. Not a moment later. But everyone around is saying, hey, where were you? Could have saved him. The second thing I want to notice, the eternal son of God is standing there. <laughs> the man, Jesus, the eternal son of God made man is standing there in the heat and the dust, gazing on the gravesite of his friend. What? The eternal Son of God, we read in Philippians, did not think being God was something to be clung to and grasped and held on to jealously. He let it go to be made one of us. Why? I think we're looking at the reason right here. His friend is dying, and he can do something about it. 
But what he does about it is he doesn't show up and heal Lazarus. He does show up and raise Lazarus, only for Lazarus to die again sometime later. But what he really does about it is die himself. He is present in the suffering of humanity. He is with us, hence the name Emmanuel, God with us. He's not just standing next to us, he's participating in all of our trouble. He's with us in that. There's no trouble you've had that he doesn't get. He could have done something sooner. Could have showed up before Lazarus died. Everyone's pointing this out. Could have done that. And we know because the text actually tells us that he didn't do that on purpose. He could have shown up sooner. But instead he's doing something deeper and greater. He's a full participant, full of compassion. He's moved. He's weeping. And in that moment while he's standing there grieving the loss of Lazarus, with Lazarus' sisters and his friends. He knows, he knows that he has subjected himself to our brokenness, that he will suffer death. He is committed to sharing the full consequence of sin. He's not just sympathetic. He doesn't just feel sorry for us. He puts himself through what we go through for our sake. And him going through it is greater than ours. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces... He was despised. We esteemed him not. Anyone here ever been despised or not rightly esteemed? So was he. He could say how he should be esteemed is way above how I should be esteemed. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted or tested as we are, yet without sin. There's not a struggle you face a hardship you have to endure that he doesn't endure with you. He sees you. He sees you. And he put himself in our position in order to bring us out of it. In our union with Christ, we die with Christ, we are raised with Christ to new life. Lazarus is a little parable, a real life parable of the power of Christ to die and be raised. Here's the sort of God we have. The sort of God that stands with you next to the grave of your loved one. That sort of God. When he sees you weep, he weeps. When he sees the cancer of your sin killing you, he weeps. And he dies for you, with you, for you. It is deeper than you imagine. He doesn't stand back, he steps in. God is not a magic wand waving God. He's a participant in the story he tells. He is a participant in your life and mine. When my brother lost his little daughter in a horrible accident, the Lord weeps with us. My father was only three years older than I am now when he died in an accident. right on the verge of retiring and traveling the world with my mother. The Lord sees us, weeps, that at the way our rebellion destroys us every day. He carries our suffering, the scripture says. He carries our sorrows. He's borne our griefs. 
He knows it. He knows it just like you do, only better. Now, this is a kind of depressing message, isn't it? It's like going to a funeral here today. Well, that's where we are in the Bible. I can't help that. Jesus went to a funeral. I just want you to see what a huge deal it is that Jesus went to a funeral. For real. But, of course, as we read in last week's lesson, what Jesus said is, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, won't die. <laughs> okay. He says that and weeps. It's not that he doesn't know what's happening. It's that he does. That he sees our situation as it really is. And he weeps. Now, we read this verse in Hebrews chapter 4, this famous verse, we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with our suffering, or with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, there's a verse that comes after that. Another verse that says, so what do you do with this information? Jesus wept. What do you do with that information? Jesus showed up and stood in the heat and the dust and wept for his friend. What good does that do you? Here it is. It's Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, every day you have times of need so do I. So do we all. We don't even know what, uh, how needy we are most of the time. We go around denying that things are as bad as they are. Some valleys are, you know, really best described as bumps. Some are deep. I don't know what your time of need is like or what time of need you're experiencing today or tomorrow or next week. And you don't know what time of need you're going to experience next week yet. But here, because we have a high priest who stood at the grave of his friend, because we have that sort of God, we can, with confidence, draw 
near to the throne of grace. If he's the sort of God that will stand there with Mary and Martha and their friends and their community and weep at the grave of Lazarus, even knowing he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, if he's that sort of God, you can go to him. Well, because Jesus didn't just go to the grave of Lazarus, Jesus went to his own grave and came back from that. Because of that, the door to the throne of grace is open. Go on in to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know what form God's grace and mercy will take relative to you other than you can rest in it anytime. You know what my problem is? I'm like, if, if Jesus, if they open the tomb and Jesus says, Lazarus, come on out. And it's as though I'm in there going, all right, I'll think about it. I don't take advantage of this opportunity very well. For me, part of being the preacher is it makes me get reminded of this on a regular basis because I'm very forgetful and I like to just handle things on my own and I forget that the throne of grace is a door wide open to me and I don't pray and I don't rest. Maybe you're like that too. But we can't. And this is the thing we should be telling each other all the time. You know, life is hard. But we know the great, compassionate Savior, Jesus Christ. And more importantly, He knows us. Father, help us Lord, I pray that by the Spirit you would help us help us to rest in the work of Christ to take this assurance to have this confidence to come to you whenever need we have whenever we have it to look to you to trust in you to trust your timing, to trust that you know the right thing to do at the right time, that you are caring for us. Even when it seems like we'd rather have it go another way, you're still with us. You know the pain of being a person in this world. You have your arm around us. We give you thanks. Amen.